The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble when evil people come to devour me? When my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach, high on a rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary... I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Hear me as I pray, O Lord, be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me. Oh, God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path. For my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands. For they accuse me of things I have never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Yet, I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave. And courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. And indeed, you may want to turn to Psalm 27, which Kristen and Davy just recited so beautifully for you, as we'll pick up various nuggets from this uh, treasure chest of God's word in our remaining time together this morning. The longer I live, the more I take refuge in the Psalms. And I have a feeling I'm not alone in that practice. Because you see, when life gets real, the Psalms provide for us transparent, no holes barred, authentic communication with the Creator. When you go to the Psalms, the prayers that are found in the Psalms are not... uh, Perfunctory, processed, 
powdered or perfumed. They're just honest to God. Cries of the heart. In the middle of the chaos and the changes and the challenges of our lives. When I found out earlier this month, I was up to preach this day and Scott asked me whether I wanted to continue the theme that we've been in of one thing by addressing Psalm 27. I thought, how interesting, because this psalm has been a continuous companion in the most challenging times of my life. First time the Psalm 27 jumped up at me was actually at a choir festival. When a certain young lady sang the words of Psalm 27 at a solo contest. And I thought that was really nice that the Psalms were sung. But frankly, it was more hormones than holiness that got my attention that day. Because I was thinking it would sure be nice if that certain young lady, Marilyn Elaine Fredergill, would one day become Marilyn Elaine Appleby. And lo and behold, one day she did. And that wasn't the last time that Psalm 27 brought us together. To culminate on our 34th anniversary, when Marilyn began a series of surgeries and chemotherapy and radiation and more surgery. And it was Psalm 27 that kept knocking on the door of my heart. And time and again, I found myself reading this psalm. And time and again, I would cry out in the darkness, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And this psalm has been with me through some of the most stressful times of my life. You know, one day somewhere in my young adulthood, I woke up and realized that they were actually Good people who didn't necessarily agree with my great ideas and pushed back against my genius. I discovered that charming fellow that I am, there were actually some people who did not recognize what a great guy I was like Marilyn and my mother had been telling me all along. And there have been those times in my life when I found myself swimming with the alligators and the sharks. And the blood in the water was my blood. And at those times, Psalm 27 once again has knocked at the door of my heart and reminded me that though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then. Will I be confident? And then in recent years, when I uh, retired from full-time work and to take care of family and nurtured them through their home going, and those times when I began to realize and come to grips with the fact that there are more years in the rearview mirror than in the windshield ahead, at least earthly years. And I occasionally wake up at night and have feelings of anxiety and questions of personal significance. I find myself affirming 
Indeed, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, that's my story. What's your story? Think with me for a moment. Reflect upon the times in your lives when life waged war against you. Are you remembering? Not necessarily easy to do. Those times when you or someone you loved endured pain, experienced loss, loss of job, loss of health, loss of a loved one. Those times in your life when Try as you may, people did not understand you. And injustice was heaped upon you. Those times in your life when you were nipped at by the alligators and bitten by the sharks and it was your blood that was in the water. The 27th Psalm is given by God Available to you for such times as those. The Psalms flow out of the life experiences of real people. For example, this Psalm is among the 73 Psalms that flows out of the life experience of David, the sweet singer of Israel. The greatest king in Hebrew history. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And yet all of his life, throughout his life, David knew problems. He knew pain. He knew injustice. He knew those times when life waged war against him. Started in his youth. David was the. The youngest child of a big family. And he had a number of siblings who were superstars, overachievers, headliners. And and the parents were always pushing forward the reputations of these superstar older kids. And David was the one who was left in the background. In fact, he was off in the wilderness, tending the family flock of sheep alone. David, even as a young person, knew the challenge of of facing predators that would devour the sheep and to live in obscurity in a wilderness. And yet God knew exactly where David was and he knows where you are. And God was working in the life of David. And he is working in yours. God was forging David's character in the wilderness. So that he was becoming a young man God could use to slay giants. And rescue Israel. 
and become the faithful friend of King Saul. And so we find David living forward in the palace of the king. And it is David who sings his songs and plays his harp to soothe the troubled soul of Saul. But then Saul hears another song. This one is singing the praises of David. And he becomes insanely, murderously jealous. And David, always faithful and loyal to his king, finds himself enduring the injustice of being chased into the wilderness. A fugitive fleeing from his homeland, living in caves and on the run for over a decade of his life. But eventually God's purpose prevails and David is crowned king over Israel. He is God's chosen man. He is in the place that God has prepared for him. And yet here's a lesson for all of us who would be called the children of God, disciples of Jesus. David was right in the middle of God's purposes for his life. And yet still war was waged against him. First, by the supporters of the son of Saul, and then in the great rebellion, by the treachery of his own beloved son, Absalom. Throughout his life, in many ways, life waged war against him. And we find in the biography of David, a man who continually cries out to God. And he asks for one thing. Now, if you were in the sandals of David, what one thing would you ask for? Well, the Psalms tells us, here is what David asked for. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his sanctuary. In the midst of trouble of all the things he could have asked for, David asked for God. And what we learn is that God shows up when a hungry heart seeks after him. And so from experience, David writes, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. You know, we live our lives much of the time distracted, pushed and pulled, fragmented, going in many separate ways. But suffering, focuses the mind intensely. And things get simpler when we're in the middle of trouble. And the issue is, on what will we focus? And for what will we pray? Here again, David's words, probably written as he thinks of the great rebellion, the, the, the agony of the treachery of his own son. My heart says of you, O God, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, I will seek. 
When someone seeks for God, he will always find him. You know, this is the continuing story of the lives of those whom we learn about in Scripture. For example, in the Gospels, the disciples of Jesus are in this flimsy boat. And they are on a stormy sea, and it is two o'clock in the morning thereabouts. And as their boat is about to capsize in the storm and the great wind, they cry out to God. And the Gospels tell us that Jesus comes to them walking on the water. And Mark, in his Gospel, records that Jesus meant to pass them by. Now, at first glance, that sounds like Jesus intended to ignore them and to travel on. But actually, he is using very precious language from the Hebrew scriptures that harkens back to the early days of the Old Testament. Back in the 33rd chapter of Exodus, when Moses, the greatest man in the Old Testament, cries out to God. And as David Ask God that he might see his face and witness his glory. And God has Moses hide in the cleft of the rock. And then Exodus records. God passed him by. God showed up. And revealed to him his glory. Mark could have been thinking about. The 19th chapter of 1 Kings, when the second greatest man in the Old Testament, Elijah, is hiding out in a cave on the mountain of God. Elijah has come looking for God. He is depressed, burned out, and discouraged. And as he is looking for God, God shows up. And he whispers, Elijah, stand at the mouth of the cave. And first Kings records, God passed him by. God shows up. When someone seeks him. With a hungry heart. So are you looking for God this morning? If you really had to boil it down to the basic essentials, what do you really want? And what do you ask for? Are you asking for God? Is Jesus the treasure your heart longs for? Now, most of us would struggle with that question if we were honest. And that is why suffering is the great clarifier. And on this Thanksgiving weekend, it is actually truly a gift. Because in suffering... Our attention is diverted from lesser preoccupations. And we have the opportunity to look up and gaze at the beauty of our creator, the majesty of our God. In fact, if we look for God in the pages of the Bible, this wonderful gift that has been given to us, we will come to see if we look carefully That God wills to use all suffering for our good and for his glory. 
Now, that doesn't mean that God causes all suffering. We look in the creation story and we realize that God created all that is around us. He created us and he said it is good. In fact, when he got to us, he said it is very good. But suffering and evil entered the world because of the disobedience of our first parents who exercised their wills to disobey God. But in his grace and his mercy, God immediately went to work. And he works to turn even suffering into his good purposes for his glory and for our good. For example, Romans 8, 28. How many of you love that verse? Romans 8, 28 says, for God uses all things for good to those who love him and are fitting into his purposes. And what are his purposes? Well, Romans 8, 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine that we be conformed to the image of his son. And so suffering is used by God to shape our souls as he builds our character. After the character of Christ, the school of suffering is the school of Christ is God uses pain in our lives to lift us from our preoccupations and our distractions to gaze upon his glory and to cry out and to ask above all things for God himself. So no wonder. The longer we live. The wise person will go again and again to find refuge in the Psalms. Uh, Scott and I were having kind of a reflective conversation one day, and we got on this subject of looking at our lives and the challenges and, that have come into our lives, and some of which we have shared through the years. And I made a statement that I have never been able to make. It still sticks in my throat and does not come out easily. But as I reflect on my life, including the stressful times, the painful times, the times things were done to me and also the things that I did to myself. And the way that God has used those times to get my intention, my attention and lift my focus to him and work in my life to change my character after the character of Christ. I am coming to the point where I am on the verge of actually saying, thank God. For those trials, because I would not have the relationship with God I have today. If it were not for his work in redeeming suffering in my life. I got a long way to go, but I wouldn't trade my relationship with Christ for the absence of pain. Because the one thing that is really worth asking for is for God himself. So this morning, we come to the Scott question. Will you? Will you 
consider that the one thing you really desire is for God himself. Will you consider praying with Paul? I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, being made like him in his death. Will you this morning ask God to redeem your suffering and offering it up to him for his glory and for your good? And will you trust Christ as your savior? Will you engage in the great exchange? Christ came to the cross to lay down his life for you. You are invited to come to the cross to lay down your life at his feet. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. The Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Will you make that profession? Will you this morning? Offer your past pain and your present problems to God and allow him to redeem them for your good and for his glory. The conclusion of Psalm 27, David says, I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know, that's one of the neat things about being a Christ follower. We understand that God is in control. He is at work in this world. But the last chapter hasn't been written yet in terms of our experiencing yet. And that is that God will work out his purposes. Heaven is prepared for us. Jesus will come again. And the unresolved pain, the unanswered questions the unrighted wrongs will be dealt with. God will have the last word and it will be a good word. And all tears will be wiped away and we will be welcomed into his presence forever to be with the Lord in the life that is truly life. But in this conclusion, David is actually referring to this life. The Psalms give us a hint of eternity. But here David is saying, I have absolute confidence that I am going to see the goodness of God. I am headed for heaven, but I will see his goodness. There is goodness to experience before I get there. Because God is with me and he redeems even life's warfare against me. Therefore, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. And that word wait there literally is akin to the word hope in the Bible. It is to live life on tiptoe with anticipation that the Lord is your light and your salvation. Whom then shall you fear? The Lord is a stronghold of your life of whom you be afraid. So this morning, will you? Choose to live on tiptoe 
anticipating the goodness and the glory of your God. I'm going to ask that we focus this morning for a moment to consider, reflect, and respond to God's initiative through worship in the Word today. And for many of us, it helps just to bow in a prayerful attitude. Perhaps you want to look up. That's how the Hebrews prayed. But however you can focus upon God and consider the wooing of His Spirit who inspired this Word and now is applying it to your life situation, what next step commitment would you make? And it begins with a great exchange. Christ exchanged his life at the cross for eternal life for us. We lay, lay down our life at his cross and confess him as Savior and his King. The prayer that you pray of commitment to God, he will hear. The heart that cries out to God for God will find him. You can use that connection card. You can ask for a, an appointment. You can even meet me standing around here as you leave today. But don't leave without saying yes to God's initiative in your heart this morning.